Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going great. How are you all doing out there, listeners? Hopefully well. Hopefully well. Welcome back to Gimme the Creeps. We are now on part two of Mexican cartels. And I will let Daniela take the floor. So I was going to do the missing women of Mexico for this episode. But as I was doing the research, I forgot that it was supposed to be about the cartels. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like I started to like really get into it. So I'm just going to do, I'm just going to save that for its own episode at a later time. So that I okay. don't really have to focus on like the cartels or anything. And just focus about the actual problem. Well, I guess cartels are problems, but you know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay, interesting. So today we're going to talk about the queens of the cartels. <sighs> so uh, I found this like really amazing paper called Las Mujeres Hermosas Pero Peligrosas del oh Narco, uh, mm-hmm. The Evolving Role of Women in the Mexican Drug Cartel by Linda Mice. Uh, she's a student at the University of Texas at El Paso, and she goes over these women so well. So most of the episode is like directly from that. That's cool. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't expect to find that, but she does point out um, some good stuff. It was from 2013, I think, uh, so I had to like update a lot of stuff. Here we go. So the 21st century has brought about many changes to tradi- traditional gender roles, most especially in Mexico, a patriarchal society in which strictly defined gender roles are taught since birth. Women are viewed as passive and submissive, the nurturers of society whose responsibility lies in bringing up children and ensuring the household runs smoothly. However, some women are quickly shedding these passive roles and coming to the forefront of the drug war by taking on more traditional male roles in their quest for economic freedom, equality, and power. Recent arrest and intelligence has seen a spike in women taking a more operational or tactical role within drug organizations by heading and participating in kidnappings, torture, assassinations, which would change those stereotypical gender roles. Since the start of the original drug organization, which we talked a little bit about in last week's episode, it was almost unheard of to have women working within the drug trade, and they were usually relegated to status of couriers, mules, or trophy wives, mistresses with limited knowledge or access to the inner workings of this lucrative criminal enterprise. So within the original drug organization, women were usually aware of the activities of the drug trade, but never got involved other than supporting the household and ensuring the children were protected from the violence of the drug trade. Um, and almost all of these ladies, I was going to say bitches, <laughs> um, they like dress like they're like a Kardashian. Like they literally- Like real housewives of- the cartels of mexico yes dude that is exactly like high heels fucking boob jobs white dress suits fucking botox and lip injections everywhere like just i'm feeling that heck yeah and it's just like the big shades and the balage hair yeah they were like always they're always like on point well almost always amazing 
Oh, goodness. But, okay, so... Their role of subservient female led them to be introduced to the drug trade by their boyfriends, husbands, or family members, persuading or manipulating them to carry drugs across the border or risk incurring their wrath. More often than not, the women in these courier roles did not profit from participating in these illegal activities. Gradually, they provided logistical support and helped facilitate the role their significant others played in drug trafficking. Unfortunately, they were commonly left to fend for themselves if significant others or family members were arrested or killed. So, a gradual shift began on two levels as it became more common to have the women act as handy lookouts or halconeras. Halconeras. Is this it? Is it over here? Radira. Oh, did you hear that? <laughs> yes. Like, like Spanish Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> El Vaquero. <laughs> Radira. <Woo>. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting steamy over here. Ooh, I wanted to say my name. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you found yeah. one of those. Oh, listen, to that. he was serious. Oh, that sounds like my grandpa talking. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> <Rich>. uh, <laughs> Daniela. Oh shit. Abigail. Oh, Abigail. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. Here, let's I don't see. want to be called that. Let me see what happens here. No. Abigail in Spanish. <laughs> Why is it saying it in English? <laughs> okay, here, maybe they hate me. I mean, the whole sentence in Spanish. Abigail eres el amor de mi vida. Woo! Oh, okay. <laughs> I like that. Cool. <laughs> okay. Okay, so it is Radiera. Okay. A gradual shift began on two levels as it became more common to have the women act as handy lookouts or halconeras or radio operators, also known as Radieras. To avoid mm-hmm. having their brothers, boyfriends, or husbands arrested or killed by law enforcement officials or rival drug members. Rival drug members. Rival drug organization members. While conducting mm-hmm. drug-related business. Women are often viewed with less suspicion if seemingly waiting for someone or even window shopping. How cute. Right, because women are just known to waste time. Without it being suspicious. I mean, I waste a lot of time. But. <laughs> Secondly, as time went on and these trophy women began, became more integrated within the drug trade by establishing glamorous households that also served as protection environments for their men and having their children, the women became trusted advisors and confidants 
as is typical in most relationships or marriages. In addition, these same children, who often had lifestyles that rivaled those of real-life princes and princesses, were often groomed to take over their family's established drug trade, and mothers continued serving in what was now a traditional advisory role. Mexico has traditionally been a patriarchal society, and it would stand to reason that those operating within the cartel would be no different. As the recent rash of high-profile arrest of women has indicated, women are assuming more visible roles in which they are becoming increasingly violent or simply assuming the financial aspects of the organization left vacant by the increasing violence within Mexico that has killed off thousands of men involved in the illegal drug business. In examining the various media pieces and the reasons the women were were arrested, uh, it has become clear that women have advanced in two apparent paths within the cartels. The first path is that of an operational or tactical role and includes women who have chosen to become sicarias or assassins and work alongside the men carrying out kidnappings, torture, and even more shocking, beheadings or guisos. I did not know that that was what it was called. Mm. Or mm. acid baths. <clears throat> That's what the guisos are called, right? The acid baths? I don't know. I've never heard of that. I've heard of acid baths. I'm pretty sure. Is that to dissolve a body? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Imagine them wearing their pearls and stuff and they're helping put body parts into the barrel. Mm -hmm. All glamorous. (laughs) That's what I picture, at least. Mm -hmm. I guess... I guess uh, Giesel would be called, or would be what the acid baths are called, since Giesel is like a fucking stew. I know. Uh, now I will never think of Giesel the same. <laughs> Conversely, as the cartels became more violent in their quest to gain control of certain drug routes, uh, and men were being arrested or killed with alarming frequency, women started taking on more deadly roles. Uh, such as in the case of Los Zetas, employing female assassins and providing paramilitary training to those recruited. As other cartels also started employing this seemingly unorthodox action, the explosive cartel violence that has gripped Mexico in recent years has intensified in the ruthless pursuit for control of lucrative smuggling routes, has resulted in an escalation of violent methods employed to intimidate and eliminate anyone who dares get in the way. According to Dr. Arturo Santa Maria, a sociology professor from the University of Sinaloa, more women are playing major roles in the cartels due to the violence that has claimed the lives of many men involved in cartel operations. He argues that this will take or this will make the cartels stronger as women in general are more cautious and use violence sparingly as opposed to men he Hmm. states the narco traffickers will become stronger as a result of this they will be more difficult to fight because the women appear to be acting smarter appear appear well thanks for the credit so the following women are part of the enforcement arm part of the cartels so, but while the statement that women would bring less violence would be generally agreed upon, the following examples of the violence women in the tactical roles have employed in the course of cartel operations provide an alternate viewpoint. 
According to Dr. George Grayson, author of Mexico, Narco Violence, and a Failed State, uh, Maria del Pilar Naro Lopez, a.k.a. La Comandante Bon 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 Bon. Yeah, that's right. I practiced that shit last night, too. Mm-mm. Was the head of Las Panteras, or the Panthers, an all-female assassin group within the Zetas organization. Las <sighs> Panteras are responsible for getting key officials in compromising positions in order to look the other way. Damn! Wow. That is very smart. Uh, to look the other way or not patrol certain areas and have the skill set to kill the official in the event they choose not to cooperate with these beautiful sicarias. Oh, wow. Dr. Grayson also commented that Naro Lopez, whose alias translates into the sweet commander, ooh, I like that, was on the opposite spectrum of sweet and was, in fact, just as cruel as her fellow Zetas. She was arrested in 2009 in a law law enforcement operation that also resulted in the arrest of other high-level cartel members. So another example is Yadira del Rio Larios, a.k.a. La Huera, or the fair and blonde one, uh, who was arrested in 2009 on murder and weapons charges resulting from being a female commando of La Linea, which we already know about La Linea, who are Mm -hmm. part of the Juarez cartel. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, that was her. And then yet another brutal example is Sarai Fabiola Diaz Arroyo, a.k.a. La Muñeca, or The Doll. Whoa. A known Zetas leader arrested in the horrific, arrested for the horrific 2011 San Fernando massacre of nearly 200 people in Tamaulipas, Mexico. Diaz Arroyo, along with other Zeta members, were responsible for the kidnappings, rape, rapes, and murders of those traveling by bus along the Mexican Federal Highway 101. That is terrible. I think I was actually going to do this one for the last fucking episode that we did, and I forgot. Hmm. So these people were kidnapped in an effort to replenish the ranks of the Zetas and had to fight other prisoners, gladiator style, to the death. And the survivors were then recruited to be the newest Zacarios. Those who refused to fight were killed on the spot, buried in mass graves and in- that included women and children. Jesus. Mm-hmm. These women represent only a few examples of how women allow the cartel to survive in order to replenish and allow cartel operations to continue. Another interesting parallel that emerged among the women showed them not only participating in the violence typically associated with the men in the drug business, but organizing and developing their own smuggling routes and contacts to become major players within the illicit world of drugs. So women have become increasingly inserted within the drug business by rising to some level of power due to their family or marital connections. They they often represent the second or third narco generation, and as they rose to mid-level manager-type positions, those women started exhibiting more freedom and power, but never rose to a level in which they were responsible for running their own plazas. Plazas represent a certain... Span of territory in which everyone from 
Politicians to the local beat cop is bribed or intimidated to ensure the drug, the drugs reach their destination without any problems. And that was, that's basically like what we talked about in the last episode that every, all the drug leaders got their own plaza or whatever. So there's that. So these illicit activities, so these illicit activities have garnered billions of dollars for the cartels and they are often run like legitimate business corporations by family members and trusted associates in conjunction with corrupt law enforcement officials and politicians on both sides of the border. Women who have extensive narco family ties or who have also established relationships with high level narco bosses have utilized these contacts to provide them with an advantage in order to set up their own smuggling routes and represent the business or financial side of the cartel. Sandra Avila Beltran, a.k.a. La, La Reina del Pacifico, or the Queen of the Pacific, is a notorious example of familial advantage. Uh, Avila Beltran was a glamorous figure, figure in the narco trade and even has her own narco corridos or ballads written to pay tribute to her reign in the narco trade. Uh, Avila Beltran's family connections helped her climb the hard ladder of success as her uncle was the original godfather of the tree of the drug trade, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, uh, as well as other prominent narco-related family connections. Her personal life was no exception as she has been linked to corrupt high-level law enforcement officials, including her first husband, who originally dubbed her his queen, while providing almost unlimited illicit funds for shopping all over the world, including Paris. See what I'm saying? Like, damn. Yeah. Avila Beltran was very successful in utilizing her looks and feminine aspects in addition to her savvy business sense and forging her path to fame and glory in the narco subculture. Subsequent romantic relationships provided Avila Beltran with many political and personal contacts that enabled her to become the nexus for the movement of money and cocaine between Colombia and Mexico, which gave a reputation as a heavy hitter within the narco world. Despite her high-profile lifestyle, Beltran long avoided leaving police any evidence. In 2002, however, she unexpectedly contacted authorities for help when her teenage son was kidnapped for a U.S. $5 million ransom. She eventually got her son back, but not without raising suspicion that launched an investigation. It took more than four years and 30 federal agents to close in and finally arrest Avila Beltran. She was arrested along with Espinosa Ramirez. I didn't Hmm. know what that was, but um, on September 28, 2007 in Mexico City, when arrested by Mexican law enforcement officials, Avila Beltran was more concerned with how she was portrayed in the media than she that she convinced officers to allow her to fix her makeup before being paraded before the press. <laughs> that reminds me of Jody Arias. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Trying to look cute. Yeah. I mean, shit. I probably want to also, but. Right. Well, it depends how you feel about what you're getting charged with, I guess. Um, But it depends. Like, what I mean is, like, if you're going to try to plead, like, not guilty and say you're innocent for something, then you would probably try to look like shit so they feel bad for you. But 
if you're proud of what you did and you you say what you did or you're just not talking at all and they just have you in custody then yeah i guess you'd want to look nice and fancy yeah. with your makeup on and shit i guess i can see what you're saying like yeah i did it and i would do it again yes <laughs> <laughs> Um, so she was charged with and convicted of laundering money for billions of dollars worth of drugs smuggling. Oh, I already talked about that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Laundering money for billions of dollars um, of worth of drugs. So in a tape of her police interrogation, she described herself as a housewife who earned a little money on the side selling clothes and renting houses. Innocent. <laughs> When asked why she had been arrested, she responded because of an extradition order to the United States. <laughs> oh, snap. Her life behind bars at the Santa Marta Acatitla, I don't know what the fuck, uh, women's prison in Mexico City has apparently not been to her liking as she filed a complaint with, a, or as she had <laughs> filed a complaint with a Mexico City Human Rights Commission uh, saying her cell had insects, which she referred to as noxious fauna. Oh my gosh, dramatic. She also said the ban on bringing in food from restaurants violated her human rights. Oh lord. <laughs> People were literally trying to bring her like fucking enchiladas and shit. Probably. In January 2011, an investigation was launched after a doctor was allowed to enter the prison to give Beltran a Botox injection treatment. Oh, my God. You've got to keep up with that shit. I know, right? I mean, but really, like, you're in jail. Like, who the fuck is going to be looking at Who's going to be looking at They probably don't even have mirrors to look at themselves. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure she did, though. Probably. She got a little bit of perks from her. She shined up a piece of foil just in order to keep up her appearance. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. I'm running out of gas. (laughs) (laughs) Running on fumes. So the prison's director and hospital chief were relieved of their duties because they let her do that shit. (laughs) <laughs> All of the drug charges were dropped in early 2011, and in February 2015, CNN reported, now after more than seven years behind bars, the woman known as the Queen of the, of the Pacific is free. She currently lives quietly in Guadalajara. Fun facts, though. Um, sh- the show Queen of the South and the Mexican novela La Reina del Sur are based mm-hmm. on the book La Reina del Sur, which is partly based on her life. Oh, yeah. her. I thought it was wow. based on her life completely, but it's not. It's just there's parts of it. Bits and pizzas. Okay, yeah. cute. And Isabella Bautista, a character in the Netflix series Narcos de Mexico, portrayed by, portrayed by Teresa Reese, is loosely based on Avila Beltran, too. Hmm. So a distant relative of uh, Avila Beltran. Okay, a distant relative of Sandra. I'm gonna do it. 
has also made a name for herself within this illicit world of drugs by taking over the helm of one of the most notorious drug trafficking organizations, the Tijuana Cartel, or the Ariano Felix Organization. In Edina, Ariano Felix is another example of women who have extensive narco-related relatives and utilize their beauty and business savvy to ascend to positions of power. Okay, once again, I'm just going to call him by, by her first name. In Edina, also known by various monikers such as La Narco Mami. That is spicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, La Jefa and La Madrina. But that's what they called the lady from Colombia. Was she from Colombia? Um, Blanca, some shit or another. Oh, I don't know. God damn it. Hold on, I have it right here. I have it right. They called her La Madrina? Yeah, they called her La Madrina. The Cocaine Cowboys documentary has her in it. Neat. (laughs) Eh. (laughs) I want to see where she's from. What is happening here? Okay. There she is. Her name was Griselda Blanco. Yeah, she was Colombian. Mm. Yeah, she is was also called La Madrina or Black Widow or Cocaine Godmother. Cocaine <laughs> 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 Godmother. Mm-hmm. That is Very something. Jeez. She I'm gonna do her in another episode, but dude, she fucking her life was fucking insane. Hmm. But back to Nadina. Okay, so she was only a teenager when her older brothers were given the Tijuana drug route by the original godfather of the drug world, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo. Nadina eventually graduated from a private Mexican university with a degree in accounting, which she put to good use for financial management purposes within the family business. Nice. She helped her brothers by serving as a trusted advisor and eventually took over the money laundering aspect of the cartel. Her brothers have since been killed or arrested, and since 2008, she has been recognized as the leader of the Tijuana cartel. A true feat for a woman a woman in a world where machismo still reigns and one acknowledged by Mexican media and U.S. law enforcement, specifically the Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA. Or the DEA. Uh, okay, so Anadina has since been grooming her son, Luis Fernando Sanchez Ariano, to lead the Tijuana cartel alongside her and has implemented, m- implemented many measures to curb the level of violence that seems to agree with the research taken by, a doc- by Mr. Arturo Santa Maria, who believes women will bring less violence to cartels. Anadina has already engaged in narco diplomacy. I hate that they put those two words together. Narco diplomacy by reaching out to other cartels to forge alliances in an approach not practiced by her brothers who engaged in violence to achieve their means. She has also led the Tijuana cartel into a more business-like approach that has helped it survive despite the best efforts of the Mexican government to dismantle it. Oh, I do like Mm. that. That's nice. Mm -hmm. But how do you keep professional, like she wants it to be professional, you know, but yeah. how do you do that when the rest of the fucking cartels are, like, wanting to be, like, fucking heathens and shit? Of course. Oh my. But, you know, I feel like it's the smaller, like, branches that want to be fucking heathens. You're right. The outliers. I mean, 
we see it all the time. Like the more serious ones are kept closer to the group. You know what I mean? Yeah. The other ones are disposable. They just, they'll kill them if they make a mess of something. You are correct. Domingo. Can't have too much fun. Mm-hmm. Another example of a woman who has utilized her beauty, charm, and personal relationships to set up her own empire within the narco world is former Colombian beauty queen Angie San Clemente Valencia, also known as the narco queen. All of them are fucking narco queens. Yeah, I know, right? This former lingerie model set up her own smuggling ring after she obtained a valuable after she obtained valuable knowledge and contacts garnered for her romantic from her romantic relationship with a Mexican drug lord known as the Monster. El Monstro. Mm. The 30-year-old... Oh, I don't know how she is actually now. I didn't fucking look that shit up. Damn it. But I'm just going to say she's 30. So the 30-year-old former model specifically recruited other models and beautiful women to smuggle cocaine from Argentina to England by way of Cancun, Mexico. Her angels, as she referred to these women, were recruited as to not draw too much attention, yet be able to utilize their beauty and charm so as to escape security checkpoints at airports. She paid them up to $5,000 per trip. Whoa. Like, bitch. I know, right? Just going across back and forth. And that's fucking, dude. There was a chick that I went to cosmetology school with. She was older. She was like in her 30s at the time which was like 10 years ago hmm. um but she was talking about how she like really she was from mexico she's from acuna and she got all the shit done like she got her ass done she got her boobs done she got botox and lip injections and she got like she got all kinds of shit done to herself because it's super cheap over there right so um she needed like a shit ton of money i think she actually got a bunch of no no no, that was after so she needed a bunch of money after those surgeries and shit and um she like fell on hard times whatever so she fucking brought cocaine from acuna across to san angelo and there's a checkpoint in between those places and they have a drug dog out there and she she took her fucking kids what did she do she it was her and her friend and her I think maybe it was her friend's kids, but the kids were in the back or whatever. And they put that shit in the tires and I have no idea how she fucking got away with it. She, Oh, um, she said, uh, that was someone else I was thinking about, but her, she, someone else that was from the shit where she got, where she was going to, the people that she got the drugs from, Someone else mm-hmm. in that little group, they went ahead of her to see if there were uh, drug dogs at the checkpoint. And, um, it, and they called when they left there and they told her, okay, you're good to go. So then she crossed oh, because there were no dogs. So dang. They would have smelled them in the tires. Oh, for sure. Because they fucking take them around uh, oh, shit. the whole car. Yeah, I know. And they do that whole mirror thing under the car. Yeah, they like walk next to the sides with a like a long stick that has a mirror on the bottom and they look underneath. Oh yeah, it's serious over there. Yeah. So that yeah, that's but she says she got a good fucking chunk of money. And I think she went and she paid like her fucking school off and shit and just all this stuff. Nice. She said she only did it one time because she was shitting bricks the whole time. 
Yeah. Oh my God. I can't even think of having to do something like that. It's terrifying. Terrifying. So in 2009, uh, San Clemente Valencia, God damn it. Um, Angie. In 2009, Angie came under suspicion when one of her angels was caught with a suitcase full of cocaine and made no attempt to conceal her illicit load. Her illicit load. That's what my <laughs> fucking stripper name's called. <laughs> oh, my God. And here comes the illicit load. No, I remember the name that you told me. Heavy D. Yes. <laughs> that's such a cool one. It's just so badass sounding. Mm. I think that's what the name of a drug is called. Yeah, that's what you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so apparently she just she like didn't even try to hide it because before they she went out there, she was told that nobody was going to give her shit, like she was going to be able to freely walk through there. But mm-hmm. they lied. Oh no. So, or I guess they might not have lied, but they were misinformed. <laughs> so, um that led into like an investigation within the airport because that meant that there was somebody that was letting people just do this. Mm-hmm. So once questioned by authorities, the angel quickly informed them she was working for uh, Angie. So authorities pursued the elusive former lingerie model and finally tracked her to a Buenos Aires hostel where she had attempted to change appearance to change her appearance by dyeing her hair blonde and had registered under a false name. And do you know who was with her at this hotel? Uh, Pablo Escobar. No, her little Pomeranian. <gasps> of course. <laughs> and of course, while I'm reading it, I'm like, what happened to the dog? I know. I always wonder that. Oh, no. I can't imagine what that dog has seen. Could you imagine? It just sees people coming in and out doing illegal shit. Yeah. And you know, now that you say that, I was thinking about that the other day. I was looking at Sassy and I'm like, this bitch has seen so much shit. And I can just imagine what like famous people that have little dogs, like, can you imagine how many times they've watched their owner get fucked by somebody? Like, Right. Or they're, yeah. Oh my God. Or if they get into the Coke. (gasps) Yeah. Or if they do, oh my God. I used to fucking get so upset when... I'd come home, like, all fucked up, or I'm, like, coming mm-hmm. down, and Sassy's, like, trying to be all over me, and I'm, like, just don't touch me. I'm dirty. <laughs> yes, I've sinned. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till the morning when I'm cleaning Let me in. just go take a shower for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> Those yeah. sweet little angels. Oh, they have no idea. I know. It was, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... While she was sentenced by the Argentine courts to almost seven years for drug trafficking, she was released and deported back to Colombia where she is free but barred from re-entering Argentina. That's fucking insane. She wasn't necessarily part of like, or she wasn't necessarily like a Mexican leader, drug leader. Mm -hmm. But she went through Mexico to do it. Yeah, well. So, here's some more. In 2016, authorities arrested uh, Clara Elena Laborin, 
a former beauty queen, and there's a shit ton more beauty queens. Ooh. So a former beauty queen from Sonora State who had married Hector Beltran Leva, who was El Chapo's or who is uh, El Chapo's former partner in the Sinaloa cartel. So Laborin is known as La Senora or the Mrs. because her husband treated her like a trophy bride. Oh. So okay, we're just gonna call it Glada. So in two thousand eight, Glada broke. Oh no, this was Hector. Her husband broke with El Chapo and formed his own cartel. After his brother and business partner Alfredo was arrested by Mexican authorities. Mm. Um, Hector suspected that El Chapo had snitched on his sibling to authorities, so he launched a bloody war against the Sinaloa cartel. Uh, Laborin, oh, this is, uh, what's her name? Clara. Clara was enlisted to direct the money laundering component of her husband's Beltran Leva cartel. So in 2010, she was kidnapped by a rival group and photographed in captivity, blindfolded, and with her feet and hands bound, with automatic rifles pointed at her. Jesus Christ. After 13 days, she was released and returned to manage the cartel's finances. Like, what the fuck? Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. Mm -mm. So four years later, when her husband was arrested, Glada became the head of the cartel launching one of the bloodiest waves of violence in Acapulco. Hers was a brutal campaign for dominance that turned the resort city into Mexico's murder capital. Tourists were caught in the in the crossfire and forced to step over bullet-ridden bodies on beaches as the mm. Beltran Leva cartel fought their rivals in the independent cartel of Acapulco. Uh, so, Clara said she is no longer part of the cartel, though. So, <gasps> no. I don't know how you can just easily get out of it. Be out? Yeah, Yeah, I wouldn't think. Especially because she probably knows a bunch of stuff. Yeah, dude. That's... Don't sound right. Crazy. So, another beauty queen is Emma Coronel Espudo, a.k.a. El Chapo's wife. Whoa. So, she's actually a United States citizen. And Mm. she's from California. And she met her husband at a party thrown by her Mexican-born drug trafficking father in 2006 when she was 17. Whoa. Oh, she's my motherfucking age. Whoa. Well, a year older than I am, but what the fuck. Um, Okay, a year later, she was crowned Miss Coffee and Guava in Canelas, a town in northwestern Mexico. Fun. The couple announced their plans to marry in the run-up to the pageant, and many have suggested that she won the title because of El Chapo's influence. Since she appeared, Whoa. since she appeared at her coronation in a diamond-encrusted crown, El Chapo dubbed her his little queen. Aww. And then he proposed to her at the contest, and Whoa. he was flanked by a hundred of his hitmen. Of course. How romantic. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And they were married on her 18th birthday, July 3rd, 2007. Jeez. El Chapo was 50 years old at the time of the ceremony. Good God. Jeez. So what? He's like 70 now? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh my God. That's crazy. I know. So the nickname stuck, and she has been known as La Reinita to her husband's cartel, Conhort. 
conversations. That's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. My grandpa used to call me Reina. I'm pretty sure a lot of Mexican grandpas called their granddaughters that, or even daughters. I don't know, but you and that girl have some stuff in common. We do, that's creepy. Shit, I could have married a fucking 50-year-old fucking Imagine. They just would leave you alone all the time. I mean, isn't that great? I think that's why they do it. But at the same time, when they come, it's like, God damn it. Ew, I know. They come home for the sugar. <laughs> That's fucking terrible. Okay, so in 2011, she gave birth to the couple's twins, Maria and Imali. I like that name, Imali. That's a pretty name. Three years later, El Chapo, by, by then one of the world's biggest drug lords, was arrested by Mexican authorities for running his drug empire. Emma helped her husband distribute cocaine and passed on messages to the cartel while he was in prison in Mexico, according to the FBI. She was also a constant presence at his trial in federal court in Brooklyn, which began in November 2018 and ended in February 2019. I think as of this month, she is they're still trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do with her but okay so she'll likely give up intelligence about the sinaloa cartel in exchange for more lenient treatment likely Mm -hmm. she will need to go into witness program uh, witness protection program said security consultant robert almonte who is an expert on mexican cartels who trains law enforcement she will likely serve a short sentence if she spills information about the cartel and if that happens her life won't be in danger once she is released, he said. Mm-hmm. So a day after her court appearance, another girl, Jessica uh, Oseguera, she's the 34-year-old daughter of El Chapo's rival cartel boss, Nemesio. Okay, yes. Nemesio Oseguera Ch- uh, Cervantes was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. She was found guilty of helping her dad launder money through various businesses, which consisted of sushi restaurants, a resort, and a tequila company, according to a Department of Justice press statement. Jessica's father, known by his underworld moniker, El Mencho, (laughs) heads up the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, one of Mexico's most brutal drug trafficking rings, its members are known for beheading enemies and dissolving their bodies in acid. But I don't know why they make it like each one is so like crazier than the next. Like they all do the same shit. Right. You're right. No one's special. Yeah. They, everyone does fucking geesels and fucking beheadings. <laughs> exactly. So Elmencho commands a group of 5,000 hitmen and is on the Drug Enforcement Administration's list of most wanted traffickers. The reward for information leading to his capture is $10 million. Damn. Mm. Damn. Count me in on that search. How the fuck does that even... Yeah, you get $10 million, but you can't even go fucking do anything with it because you're going to be a winner. Yeah, you're a dead man walking. So Oseguera, who is also known as La Negra, was both Mexican or has both Mexican and U.S. citizenship, and she was arrested last year when she drove across the border. 
Mm. Here we go. The significance of the evolving role of women within the cartel is that while there has been considerable research done on the cultural and social phenomenon aspect of female smugglers, this particular research seeks to focus primarily on how the role of women has evolved from a security perspective. The motivations are often the same no matter the research focus, and these include the quest for power, money, dominance, and a need to survive in a country in which the level of violence has ripped apart the very fabric of social norms. In 2006, the anti-drug trafficking initiative was launched by former Mexican president Felipe Calderón, and by the end of his administration in 2012, the official death toll was at least 60,000 people. And by 2013, it was above 120,000, not including the 27,000 missing. Most were men that had been killed as a result of drug-related violence. Since drug organizations need manpower to continue holding the reins of power, this is the reason they have started recruiting women to work within the cartels. So this is significant in two levels. First, women were always considered the voice of reason, blah, blah, blah. And then secondly, we must consider the ramifications if the women themselves are becoming more integrated within the narco business. El que nada debe, nada teme is a popular viewpoint, which means if a person does not owe anything, they will not have anything to fear. Mm. Sadly, that is no longer true as more civilians are finding themselves caught in the crossfire between rival cartels and the women who used to be the voice of reason are now becoming involved within the narco world. Mm-hmm. Getting power hungry. Mm-hmm. Which is making it easier to integrate other family members. And this would have a profound effect on family structures, societal norms, and how women are viewed by law enforcement officials while furthering destabilizing an already fragile environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, research on women in terrorist organizations by scholar Farhana Kazi has revealed that women usually resort to violence for personal and political reasons. Most women seek to protest the loss of their society or their country from failing to foreign, from falling to foreign occupied forces. Her analysis can also hold true for Mexico. It can be argued that Mexico is experiencing a type of occupation by hostile forces, those of the cartel and their various factions fighting for control of valuable smuggling routes and terrorizing entire communities while doing so. In addition, As a senior army official observed, women have never been viewed with the same lethality of men. And the same can be said of the way law enforcement on both sides of the border view the women in the cartel as the culture simply does not allow for that, thus making the female a very valuable tool. Tool? Yes. One of the most basic things a government can provide for its people is safety and security, and Mexico has certainly proven incapable of doing so despite the $3 billion provided by the Madeira, oh no, by the Merida initiative since 2007. While further research would have been, would have to be done on this particular topic, it would seem that women are almost compelled to get involved with the cartel as their very security is being compromised. Just as the concept of plata or plomo, silver or lead, is the fundamental cartel code that members live by and die by. These women also live by a parallel of this code. This code is live or die. And with women used and discarded as easily as easily as a piece of piece of clothing, they're especially vulnerable and doing whatever it takes to not only survive in such a harsh environment, but to try and thrive as well. There is hold on. 
That's what I was fucking looking for. Okay, Mexico risks becoming a country in which killing someone can be seen as normal or natural, and the widespread pandemic carnage has only further numbed people to watch and stun fatigue to the various factions competing to one-up each other and publicizing their viciousness. Another significant aspect is the issue of desensitization. God damn it. Mm -hmm. Since women are considered the voice of reason, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah. So the issue of desensitization. Sadly, the escalation of the violence and methods employed have become so commonplace that society as a whole has become desensitized to these grisly messages. Cartels are seemingly taking a page out of a terrorist handbook and have employed such means such as dismemberment and beheading while their victims are still alive, submerging their victims in acid, setting victims on fire, and Mm. even hanging to name a few of these horrific means of eliminating their rivals. Even more shocking is that women are not exempt from these type of murders as female cartel members and sicarias have been found dead having met the same frightening fate as their male counterparts. The posting of these gruesome murders on social media sites such as YouTube and by writing menacing messages on narcomantas or banners and posting them alone or with the bodies of their victims further add to the traumatizing and desensitizing effect on the people to the extreme violence already surrounding them. Um, But I remember when Primer Impacto would come out and my mom would be like, oh no. She'd be like, I know. Change the channel. She said, there's too much violence and they show everything, Abby, everything. The head's cut off and everything. Change the channel. Mm -mm. She would not watch it. Yeah, dude, that shit is crazy. So talk about desensitization because I mean... mm. I can't even imagine like seeing that shit all the time. Yeah, you're just like walking to the store or whatever down the street and there's like bodies on fire and shit. Like, uh-uh. I can see it on the screen, but in real life, I can't. Imagine living it right. Mm-mm. That'd be so scary. I feel for those people who have to every day like close their windows and all this and that because there's stuff going on outside. Word. So sad. Dangerous. So as Kazi pointed, or as Miss Kazi pointed out, while these women believe that they're doing this of their own free will and are being honorable, some are actually being exploited to serve the political ambitions of male-dominated groups. Mm. We recognize that women who commit these acts garner more media attention for propaganda purposes and are less likely to arouse suspicion or to be questioned while carrying out attacks. Right. While the women of the narco trade do not commit suicide bombings or acts of terrorism we tend to associate with other terrorists, they are taking up more tactical and high-level roles traditionally held by narco-traficantes and reveling in the independence, power, and money such roles provide. While they may not feel like they are being exploited, it can be argued that their role can be constructed as exploit as the narco world merely sees them as a means to an end women are simply filling the void like serena joy yes exactly like serena and then she and then she sure did get squeezed right out of the equation whenever it was convenient yes and then she tried to put her foot down again and they took that finger off Mm -hmm. yes you are correct 
Damn. So, yes, women are simply filling the void, resulting from all the men being killed as a result of the drug war and reaping the benefits that have resulted. At least in The Handmaid's Tale, they, she filled the void of their needing to at least look like there are women involved. Right. And, um, when, yeah, and getting into it, like at the very beginning, she was all about it because she was, that was her book and this and that. And she fed into the movement. And then whenever she was ousted from it because it was, it wasn't part of the rules, she just accepted it. But then again in Canada, she had to like play another role all over again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now that she had her freedoms back, her certain freedoms. Anyways. That's wild. But it is true that, I mean, money and power can get to your head. So it's like, are you being empowered or are you just a, like, tool, like they mm-hmm. said, like just a tool to be the the face of it, but you're not really in power. They could literally just move you right out of there. Yep. So what is unknown is whether this deeply traditional and patriarchal country will continue to change and allow women to step into legitimate invisible roles, such as in the government, law enforcement, or political arenas, and receive the same respect and value as the men. Mm-mm. In a country full of corruption in which the women virtually go unnoticed, it is no wonder that women have chosen to pursue the path of drug trafficking and criminality to gain a level of respect and power they simply mm-hmm. cannot seem to achieve by positive means. Right. In the end. Mm-hmm. Insane in the membrane. I mean, because any other beauty queen would just be a former beauty queen, and then what else has she got going for her? But if she gets into that business, might as well use her looks or whatever. And have some kind of, or, you know, at least be made to feel like you have a say yeah. in something big. Um, but that's the, I thought there was like way more, but those are the ones that I could find shit on. Yeah, that was good. Oh my God, that was really interesting. Thank you. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, can they even, can they even like have friends and gossip and stuff or are they yeah, always like other, 10 bodyguards? It's other women that are like the wives. Oh, involved. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, that's fun. Like the main bodyguards probably have their wives. Yeah. And mm-hmm. This and that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and like girls, I feel a little better than shit. I'm sure they. Right. Oh my God. But. But they can't be telling secrets. Like, mm. mm-hmm. they can't have any secrets, I bet, amongst themselves. Oh, that's And forget it. If they cheat on each other and stuff, oh. Yeah, it's fucking scary as shit. Um, there are consequences. In that movie, Savages, mm-hmm. they portray the. It's some Hayek that's the drug boss or whatever in that movie. But they kidnap her daughter, but her daughter has like a normal ass life. Like she was going to school in California. She just had like a rich girl life. Oh, so the kids I think could have normal or like as normal life. Like they can, they can leave and come and go. But if they're in danger, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because they know who their kids are and where they're at. Mm-hmm. Uh uh-uh. Well, very fascinating. We obviously we come from a very privileged place talking about this stuff. It's not a joke or anything, but it is interesting to kind of try to fill the shoes and imagine what their lives would be like, you know, glamour and all and violence and having to carry a gun and 
stuff like that. It's just so interesting having that kind of lifestyle. For sure. Imagine being just so assertive without even having to say anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like you walk into a room and everybody's like, oh, psh, I she is. honestly believe in a past life that was a role of mine. Not a fucking. You were like a chief, a chief's wife or something. No, I honestly feel like I was like the main, that bitch. Like I was that bitch. I could see you dominating a room at some point for sure. Now my social anxiety doesn't want me. But oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, but imagining how great and powerful that would feel, I I can't. I bet it would be amazing. For sure, I feel like I like abuse the power, and in this life, I that's why I have like ADHD and <laughs> social anxiety. Oh, no. They had to like tone it down, bitch. They had to knock you down. Yeah, <laughs> they had to knock you down a few pegs. Yep, like, she will be humble in this lifetime, yeah. <laughs> but I still my fucking past life still comes back out sometimes, like. I literally right. like disbelieve sometimes to how people treat me. <laughs> oh shit! Like good or bad? What do you mean? Like okay, if someone cuts me off, for instance, like how fucking oh. dare you? Do you know who I am? Right. Like, I'm not even angry, yeah. but I will say it in my head. You have that entitlement. That's good. Me, on the other hand, Hunter is always like, you need to like show people that your your value. Like, don't you have value? You feel like you have value, and I'm like, well, yeah, but. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you don't act like you do. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I do. Because, for for instance, at work, people get me confused with another girl and they call me Robin sometimes. No. And I let them because it does not bother me. But that's a guess that bothers Hunter so much because he's like, oh, my God, you have to correct them and assert yourself so that you have your own identity and this and that. And Robin, my coworker, she, she will. She will correct people. She's great. I love her. She's only like... She just turned 21, but she's great. Abby, she's already very assertive and speaks her mind. And I'm just like, eh. You've literally been there longer than she has. And they. You're right. <laughs> I've already been. Yep, exactly. Oh, so Abby. I guess I could see it. I, but that's the thing is like, I'm so passive and it, it, it bothers other people more than it bothers me how passive I am. But yeah. The only reason I'm passive mm-hmm. is because I am too. Um, shy i guess to say it out loud right i definitely think it though with anger right Eh, i'm just like if i'm okay comfortable with the person i'll straight up um say it but right okay i see what you're saying yeah i don't want i don't like making people feel bad or feel weird either so i just eh. that's where mm -hmm. i mean yeah exactly i put other people's stuff before me because it just doesn't bother me i'm just indifferent towards it but i need to get a grip and be like um but it would be hard for you to do that when it doesn't bother you you know what i mean like you exactly thank you you just forget like oh i probably yeah it just goes in one ear and out the other and i'm like ah okay (laughs) (laughs) who am i again i'm just kidding who am i again (laughs) 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 <laughs> that's terrible um <laughs> jesus but yeah anyways but these women they know who they are mm. For sure. and and everybody else does too and and if they ever tried to get out of it they would be found so quick so that witness protection oh man it will save some innocent people but it also will protect super super criminal people if you were really to think about it i kind of wish <laughs> that my 
dad's wife could have just gone for a cartel leader instead of my dad. Aww. But she needed a fucking green card, so I mean... <laughs> Am I leaving this in? You are definitely leaving this in. Okay, well, on this podcast, we don't tolerate (laughs) (laughs) we don't tolerate uh, users. We do not. See, she could have had bigger ambitions. (laughs) I know. Who knows? Maybe she tried it. I mean, we don't. My dad is pretty well off too, so I mean, I guess she didn't play her cards completely wrong, but still. (sighs) Aww. It makes me sad that she doesn't know English, so because I could say all kinds of shit. <laughs> oh dang, it's like that. Okay, but once again, if I were to actually be in front of her face, I wouldn't say anything. I would just I wouldn't say You're anything. Polite. Right in your head, you might. Oh, but... for sure. My head, my eyes are throwing daggers. Hmm. Well. Well, I don't know how to segue from that. Well, that was a spicy ending there. I had to end with a little bit of spice. Well, guys, um, we hope you enjoyed part two of our Mexican cartels series for this month. We will be back next week with part three. Make sure you give us a follow at Gimme the Creeps, G-I-M-M-E, the Creeps on Instagram or Twitter. Send us a DM if you have any stories related to cartels or um gang gang activity even because like i said this is the opportunity we're going to take to discuss these kinds of fascinating dark things um once again this is coming from a place of privilege you know we've never had to do whatever some people have to do um to survive out there we know it's a it's not a black and white situation with some of these things that are going on in the world but we are definitely interested and fascinated by these topics so if there is anything you guys can think of to send us Please do, and we will keep you anonymous. We will not mention any names or where we got the DMs from. So yeah, you you guys can definitely send us a DM on Twitter or on Instagram. And make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you like what you hear. Thank you. So, did we give you the creeps?